The Phoenix Suns got a nice early season test on Sunday night, beating the Los Angeles Clippers 112-95, a rematch of the 2020 Western Conference Finals that never was against the fully healthy Clippers. On today's episode of Locked on Suns, what this matchup taught us about the Suns and why it went so well. Let's go. You are Locked on Suns. Your daily Phoenix Suns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We are back. This is Locked On Phoenix Suns. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Brendan Clean, a credentialed media member covering the Suns for the past six seasons and a writer at Suns.com and Dime Magazine, thank you all for making Locked On Suns your first listen today and every day. Game recap show here on this Monday. Happy Monday. Welcome to a new week. Suns basketball is back. It has been a thrill so far. Three awesome games, frankly, even though one of them was a disappointing loss. So I'm happy that you're all here and chose to spend this winning Monday with me. Today's show, guys, brought to you by Prize Picks. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code Locked On. That's PrizePicks.com. Promo code Locked On. Again, 112 to 95, a win by the Suns. Hit follow, hit subscribe, folks. If you're just finding us for the first time today, make sure you do not miss another episode. That will be in your feed on YouTube or on any podcast platform that you listen on. You can also go ahead and follow at LockedOnPHXSuns on Twitter, where you get to chime in yourself with your seven words or less game takes after every game this season. I have uh, at Brendan Germer, Jock Landale is him. I have at Stingom, S Tingom, we're back, baby. I have. At Jake the Oliveira, just saying simply Devin Booker, which I think does uh, plenty to describe what happened. So let's dive into this game. 112-95 win. A surprising game. The Suns were up 15 after the first quarter. They were up 20 early in the second quarter. Then Kawhi Leonard checked in, and he played 21 minutes total. I think most of his impact was getting to the free throw line and playing pretty smothering defense. He was a monster. Uh, just crazy to watch him be back out there after a full season of him of him being gone with the ACL tear. And just remembering what a freak of nature he is physically. He's so big. He's so long. He's so smart. But the Suns were able to keep their lead. It felt like it was, you know, maybe gonna gonna slip away at various points. The Clippers did outscore the Suns 31 to 25 in the third. They were basically neck and neck in the fourth. But the main reason, as Jake on Twitter so eloquently uh, let us know, that the Suns were able to uh, to to get this one out was Devin Booker. 13 of 21 from the field for 35 points. Five of nine from three. 4 of 4 from the free throw line. Only 35 minutes tonight, which actually might be one of the best stats of his uh, of his box score, just not having to play too much. He had uh, he had been at 41 and 39, I want to say the past the first two games, so that's a good sign too, but look, the Clippers are playing 
I would say even smaller this year because not a lot of Nick Batum, not not as much Nick Batum as we saw maybe when when the Suns played them in the conference finals or even as much Marcus Morris necessarily. They're going small with Morris at the five sometimes, which is, you know, another step smaller. Or Covington, Robert Covington at the five. And so what that means is without Zubats playing a lot, with Batum getting, you know, he's basically two years older than when the Suns played him in that conference finals and he was playing 30 plus minutes a night. What all that means is more switching, more defensive versatility on the part of the Clippers and more small ball. And that is all well and good. We'll talk about one component of that in the next segment as it relates to like the Suns' full team. But when a player like Booker, a player as good as Booker, is feeling it the way that he was last night, uh, tonight, there is absolutely nothing that a switching defense is going to be able to do about that. Because this is something that we've seen around the entire NBA. Frankly, in my opinion, watching, I try to watch a ton of games the first week. I have done that more than just the Suns and Booker definitely falls into the category of this trend. There are just not, almost every single team has a guy that you cannot guard one-on-one and Booker is that for the Suns. And switching on defense like the Clippers were trying to do tonight when they had lineups like, you know, Morris, Kawhi, George, let's say Reggie Jackson and and John Wall or Luke Kennard and John Wall, whatever it was, what what you're creating for yourself is a mandate to contain the ball, to guard one on one, right? Like we always look at the Warriors or the the Rockets of those late 2010s teams or whatever you, Boston last year, let's say, and we think of switching with the versatility as sort of this peak of modern defense. And like it is if you're really, really great at it, but what is not so great is when it's leaky because somebody like Booker, he was getting past the defense before it could even get set and try to switch. He was really good in transition tonight. He was taking early clock threes, not like full transition, but sort of not even asking for a screen, not even really running a play, but just pulling up for a jumper. And even if it was Paul George on him, he was getting to the basket, he was getting to the mid-range and just making tough shots. Like we could talk about all the ways to beat switching. We'll do that a little bit in the next segment. And we can talk about, you know, Chris Paul or DeAndre Ayton or all all these other components of the Suns offense that need to be clicking for them to be at their absolute best. But when you're getting a 13 of 21 night from Book, where he's taking and making threes, where he's driving to the basket, where he's drawing a couple opportunistic fouls and moving the ball the right way on top of that, it's just very difficult to beat that. There's just, I mean, that's the bottom line. I don't think he can do it himself, which is what we've seen plenty of times over the past eight years of his career. 
but he doesn't need a whole heck of a lot beyond that. There was not another even 15-point scorer tonight. And yes, the Clippers were, you know, they only shot 44% from the field. They had 14 turnovers. They were missing free throws, Wall in particular. But the Suns have Booker, and he's going to be able to beat just about every defense. On Wednesday night, it was him beating blitzes that the Mavs were throwing at him. Tonight, against the Clippers, it was him beating switches. He has shown us by getting his game at, at yet another to yet another level this year that when he has it going, he can effectively get you, you know, quite a ways toward winning games. And they were able to win this one, largely as a result of what he was doing. Just bullying anybody. Kennard, George, Jackson. I mean, the entirety of the Clippers' defense in some situations when he was able to, to, get, to get going in transition or he had a drive where he... You know, the other thing, too, with all of those categories of scoring that he was doing... That switching and, and the small ball stuff that the Clippers do allows for is there's no rim protection, right? And that's the other angle of his game that's been able to jump up this year is the driving. I posted on, on uh, I, I tweeted out earlier that Booker has basically doubled his drives per game compared to the full season last year to the first two games this year. Now, obviously, that's a trend you're gonna have to keep watching. It's just been two games. I would venture to guess. It wasn't quite as high today, but still better than last year. And when there's nobody at the basket, when Zubats plays less than half the game, you're not afraid to drive to the basket. And you, he had a, a monster dunk in the second half, I believe, in the fourth quarter, uh, where he got up real high and, and you know screamed when he came down. He had a bunch of big you know jumpers to close it out. Like he was doing it from everywhere. He can beat any defense. He looks in shape and dedicated to getting into the basket more. He's at another level. He's at another level. 35 points in 35 minutes over, I mean, what is that? Like 75% from the field, just an MVP caliber day for Booker. And the other part of the offense that really the only other part of the offense that needed to click tonight was the three-point shooting. That was also a way that the Suns exploited the Clippers switching. So we'll break that all down in just one second. First, today's show, guys, brought to you by Prize Picks. I love Prize Picks. Um, I love Prize Picks because it's better and different than most other games like this. You've played daily fantasy games before, right? You've tried uh, the stuff, you've tried competing against pools, you've tried picking and using your budget and this and that. Prize Picks gets rid of all of that. They have their player projections. And all you have to do to win the game is to pick more or less than that projection for every player in your lineup. That's it. So let's say Tuesday night, Suns Warriors. Let's say you roll out of bed today. You start thinking. By tomorrow, you set your lineup and you want to just put all players in those two games or in those two teams in that game. So let's say you go Devin Booker. He's been on a tear. You're going to go more points, no matter what the line is. I'm guessing... His season average is somewhere up in around 30. So let's say it's 30.5. I'm going more. I think he has to bring it against Golden State. He will. I'm going to go more points for DeAndre Ayton too because he's going to have to score against the the uh, Warriors switching and against Looney, etc. 
And then I'm going to go more assists for Chris Paul because he has clearly evolved his game a little bit this season to where he's playmaking even more, shooting and scoring even less. And there's your lineup. Three Suns players. Maybe you go Steph Curry more points. Maybe you go Steph Curry more three-pointers. They have projections for all of it. They have cross-sport lineups, so you can go a little bit of basketball. You can go a little bit of football, and then that can be your lineup. And you don't have to do five guys. You don't have to do 11 if you're playing football. You can do two, three, four, whatever you want. That's the fun of it. You're only competing against those projections. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. And PrizePix offers safe and fast withdrawals. PrizePix is currently operational in over 30 states in Canada. And if you download the PrizePix app or go to prizepix.com now, first-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code locked on. If you deposit $100, PrizePix will give you $100. If you deposit $50, Prize picks will give you 50. Don't forget to enter the promo code locked on at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. Talked about Devin Booker beating the Clippers switches. I think it's actually maybe more fair to say the Suns as a whole beat the Clippers switches. And here's what I mean by that. Time and again, the Suns were able to generate especially open threes. Almost half their shots came from three tonight. They attempted 42. They made 15 of those. Maybe it's not the percentage you want, but if I'm the Suns, I love 42. (laughs) That's the number that matters to me. They were close to 30 assists. If you've been listening to this show for a long time, if you've been paying attention to Monty Williams for a long time, you know that 30 is the magic number for both of those categories. The Suns want to get to 30 assists or as close as they possibly can. They want to get 30 or more three-pointers attempted or as close as they possibly can. Tonight, they were just about at or above both. And that's a great sign. They were doing that also by beating these switches, but in a different way, right? I mean, Booker's beating switches because he's getting past his man to get into the paint. He is... Uh, you know, beating the defense before it can get set in transition. He is taking jumpers and, and you know, getting into an ISO situation against Luke Kennard or against Paul George. The Suns were doing it as a team by just exploiting mistakes. Just exploiting mistakes. That that That's all it really took. And there were so many of them in this case that the Suns were able to get a bunch of threes up. Now, I don't want to pretend like every one of those 42 threes was some sort of flub by Los Angeles. I Obviously not. But I would say John Wall in particular, if you go back and watch the highlights of this game and you look at those threes that the Suns were able to generate, Wall was the culprit on at least a handful. The big three that Cam Johnson made with about eight minutes left in this game was the direct result of John Wall just letting him go. John Wall had it in his head that he was going to take the ball handler, which I believe was Chris Paul, coming off of a screen. Only Paul went the other way on the screen, and Reggie Jackson actually was able to stay with him. Ivica Zubats dropped into the paint to deter at the rim. By that point, Cam Johnson's already in the corner. John Wall's just standing in no man's land out on the around the left elbow, where Cam had begun the play. Wall never moved. Cam Johnson gets a three. Uh, 
a few more. There was one where Torrey Craig got a three, I believe in the second quarter, right about the time Kawhi checked in. Kawhi, it looks like, loses Torrey Craig, so to speak, but that's because I think it was Reggie Jackson. Same type of thing. There's an initial pick and roll. Reggie Jackson kind of just bails on the play. I believe John Wall was on the floor at that same time. He steps out and rotates uh, in a strange way. Then they have to sprint to the corner to try to contain Booker, who gets free in the left corner. And they drop an easy pass over to Torrey Craig in the right corner. And Kawhi doesn't have a chance to recover. Now, there were also some corner threes, some threes overall, where you know Booker sidesteps Kawhi, gets an easy one. Mikhail got one where Kawhi basically collided with him. I believe it was Kawhi, and he he made it anyway. You had one by Landry Shamit toward the very end of the game. That was just Chris Paul magic. I went back and watched a lot of these to make sure I was telling you guys the right thing, but you can t- you can tell for sure that the Suns went into this game knowing that the Clippers were going to switch almost everything and that their off-ball switching wasn't where it needed to be. And if they were going to be able, if the Suns could just keep moving, keep screening for each other, keep, you know, switching sides of the floor. If you're a corner shooter, that's always something the Suns are great at doing. The ball comes one direction. The guy in that corner is going to rotate over and everybody sort of just almost, you know, rotates in a circle, rounds out in a circle of where they are around the arc. And then somebody can just come free if, if, if one of the defenders is falling asleep. That happened tonight. So it was a conscious effort and it very much worked. The other part of this that I want to quickly hit on is Chris Paul. I don't know if I was right or wrong about Chris Paul because I'm not going to lie. I thought two things about CP heading into the year that I said on this show. You heard me say it and I think it's come true, but I don't think it went, I don't think it's going the way that I expected it to. One was I thought Paul was going to play less of a role in terms of as a, as a compromise, as a way of lessening his burden, he was just going to do less on the court, right? So less shooting, less playmaking, less hand, or maybe not less playmaking. I don't want to say it that way, but less initiating running of the offense every second of every game. And I also thought that we might start to see the beginning of a different phase of Chris Paul's career. And I think those things go hand in hand. But I guess what I'm saying is I wasn't predicting that he would look this creaky, okay? His shots just are not going in and he doesn't look confident taking them. He was one of eight from three tonight. He passed up several open to wide open shots. He was three of 11 from the field overall, one of eight from deep. Um, Look, he's still 11 assists to just two turnovers. You'll live with that. He is making some heads up plays like he always does in terms of getting his hands on on loose balls and, you know, hit ahead passes, pushing the pace in select moments. He was a big part of uh, a couple of runs by the Suns, the beginning of the fourth quarter, getting the Suns from out from under it when Book needed to be on the bench and Paul was able to create some decent offense, getting guys like Shamid and others just some open looks to keep the offense afloat. Like, he's not cooked. I'm not saying Chris Paul is done. But we haven't even seen 
a moment where he makes a couple jumpers in a row. And those, those situations, those takeover moments were frequent last year, right? It wasn't like he's scoring 30 often, but let's say that beginning of the fourth quarter period where I just talked about. Last season, that would have been him going into scoring mode, right? He did hit one late in this game. Credit to, credit to him for that, you know, big one to kind of put the game away. But again, those moments would have been a flurry last year, whereas now they're, you're, you're lucky to get one shot. You're more likely to get some assists. There's a chance you might not get any of those. And so generating the corner threes is sort of this, it's a, it's a good and a bad. It's a good because it's the Suns, adjusting and adapting to a world where Chris Paul is not their amazing second option that they can lean on for those flurries. But it's a bad because as reliable as, you know, ball movement and the role players hitting shots, those things have been fairly reliable for the Suns past two years. Chris Paul from mid-range is infinitely more reliable That is about as sure of a thing, as core of a part of this Suns offense as anything has been. And so if that's going away, yes, tonight it was the corner threes. Other nights it's been Aiton through this first week. But there will be nights where maybe none of the above happen. And if you don't have that Chris Paul to fall back on, starts to be some hard questions. So I guess the optimistic take is he'll start hitting those shots. He'll play himself into maybe some better shape. He'll get a little bit more confident. He'll he'll take some of those open shots that he's not taking, and it'll all look better. But if that doesn't happen, we're going to have to start really thinking hard about what this offense is going to look like without it. That's conversation for a little bit of a different day. Let's get out of here with some usual recap segments. If you've been listening to this show long enough, you know Some of my favorites here, we'll get to those in a sec. First, today's show, guys, also brought to you by BetOnline. BetOnline.net is your number one source for betting football and basketball for the rest of the year and beyond. Find the latest player developments, team matchups, news podcasts, and in-depth analysis on every game. And as always, BetOnline remains your continued source for all sports wagering info with live betting and up-to-the-minute scores for every sport out there. We have a big game. The Philadelphia 76ers, who lost to the Spurs on Sunday and are uh, 0-3 to start the year, are facing another tanking team on Monday. The Philadelphia 76ers are facing the Indiana Pacers. They are minus 12 at home. They are 12-point favorites. You can get minus 110 odds on that. Pacers covering that. I know the Pacers are not a special team themselves, but they've been playing decently. Ben Matherin has been awesome. And I just don't like taking 12 points for the 76ers at all right now with the way they've been playing. Next football week's odds, I'm sure, will be up by the time you guys are hearing this. Check out BetOnline for all of it. That's BetOnline.net or their mobile app. BetOnline, where the game starts. Okay. Bench mob vibe check. We got to hit as this, uh, this second unit comes into clarity. So Landry Shamit was back today, as was Cam Johnson. Shout out to him. I had some, uh, some criticism over his um, injury situation. 
He only played 23 minutes, so that's somewhat interesting to me. I think defensively, there was probably some concern. He did not look awesome guarding Kawhi Leonard for the first stint in that second quarter when Kawhi was out there. And so you got some heavy minutes for the for some of the backups. Torrey Craig played a ton. Landry Shamit, who I just mentioned, was back. He only played 13 minutes. Um, Lee Landale Payne. Those are the other uh, other three. That's kind of the second unit right now. Payne it at point guard, Shamit at the two guard, Damian Lee at the three, Torrey Craig at the four, and Jock Landale at the five. Uh, Shamit looked pretty good. Hit two big threes. Look confident. That's all you can really ask. Craig, I get why he was out there. He played some center in this game, actually. He was the right type of body. I do think the nine rebounds were something I didn't realize in the moment that he, I mean, he almost led the team in rebounding tonight. He had more than Aiton did, more than Bridges did, etc. That's good to see. He did make two of his five threes. This was a, a totally passable game for Craig. Um, I think the big hero of the night, though, on the bench was Jock Landale, who did lead the team in rebounding with 10. He had nine points. He was able to beat the switch pretty well, too. And I think it looked a little different than it does for Aiton. Aiton is, you know, a little bit more likely to overpower it. He's historically, especially in those conference finals, has been pretty aggressive as a rebounder against the Clippers, whereas Landale... Obviously, tonight he did have some good rebounding totals, but it's not going to be the force and the aggressiveness and the athleticism that it is with Aiton, but it worked. The hook shots, the up and unders, the off the glass layups, all that good stuff that Landale does was really effective. I think you have to be realistic with yourself, though, and say 17 minutes for him, despite the, the box score production, he wasn't able to stay on the floor, right? If it's, if it's Robert Covington at center, if it's Nick Batum at center, if it's Marcus Morse at center, Landell just can't be out there. You know, Aiton is the unique big man with what we've been saying for two plus years now that can stay out there against the Clippers just as well as he can stay out there against, you know, the Minnesota Timberwolves with their two centers, right? And it's pretty cool. It's pretty unique. And it's not something that Landell can, can boast about. So, I think 17 minutes was about right for him. Ride him in the ways that you can. Take advantage of that mismatch when it's there. The Suns were a plus 13 when he was out there. He does his thing at a really high level. But you had the other options as well of playing Torrey Craig at the five. And then obviously DeAndre Ayton being in there too. So I think Monty played it pretty well. I was a little surprised we didn't see more Bismack Biombo or any Bismack Biombo tonight. Somebody pointed out to me, you know, Biz doesn't play super well when Chris Paul's not out there. So with that particular lineup, maybe it made more sense to just play some more wing heavy rather than even Biombo, who is a pretty switchable defensive big man and a pretty good rebounder. But without Paul, is he just going to be too much of a negative on offense? I get all that. I guess maybe I'll just say the next time they play a super small team like this, I would like to see Biombo just for the sake of trying, because I think at the end of the day in a playoff series... I trust Biombo as sort of that small ball five option much more than I do Torrey Craig. But those are conversations to be figured out the rest of the way. Let's see. I have an idea for this one. I kind of already mentioned it. But one thing I want to do, especially if we're getting less Chris Paul, because one one of the, the, the recap segments I used to do last year was called 
the Chris Paul, what did I call it? It was like the Chris Paul Embarrassment All-Star Team or, or something like that. It was the Facundo Campazzo All-Star Team. I remember now. <laughs> Named, obviously, after Facundo Campazzo because if you guys remember the past couple years with Denver, the Suns just, uh, Chris Paul just hated Campazzo. I mean, the Suns picked on him and that was smart because Campazzo is just not a very good defender. But Chris Paul in particular just absolutely seemed to, he just despised Campazzo. I think... Composo just got under his skin. I don't know what it all was, but it was hilarious. And so he became the poster boy for this team. And I need another one because I don't think it's going to be Chris Paul. And so along those lines, not quite the same, I'm going to go with the pigeon of the game. Okay, if you remember, also Denver, but not Composo, the second round series when the Suns swept the Nuggets, the Suns in four series, they had Michael Porter Jr. very clearly as the pigeon. It's either Pigeon or Duck. Most NBA teams apparently call it that. The Suns use Pigeon. Crowder talked about it. Booker talked about it. And so I'm going to try to identify that guy going forward in these post-game recaps if it becomes pretty obvious who the guy is. Tonight, very clearly John Wall. So he is the inaugural. Maybe, maybe we'll name it after him. So we did the bench mob vibe check. This will be the John Wall honorary pigeon of the game. All right. Tonight, the Suns were exploiting John Wall. They were having, again, with the smart ball movement, smart cutting, smart screening. They were running sets where the guy Wall was covering, most often not the point guard because he's not a great defender. So they were trying to sort of hide Wall, would would be involved in, in an elaborate sort of, you know, Spain pick and roll where, where that guy screens for the roll man and then pops out or these other types of things, I don't actually know if it was Spain, but these are the Suns' go-to sets. They got Wall screwed on several of them, and so he gets he gets the the namesake here, the John Wall honorary pigeon of the game. He is the first one. We'll follow that as the season goes along. I hope you guys are enjoying this win. This was a really fun game. All three of the Suns' games this far this season have been a blast. I guess I'm just remembering that when it's not uh, the season falling apart against Dallas, this team's pretty darn fun to watch. Keep it right here, guys. Uh, I'll have a, an episode Tuesday, and then Wednesday's show will be a recap of the Warriors game. I, I have a feeling we're getting another fun one because that is going to be TNT. That is going to be a big-time preview of what might be a playoff series. So hit subscribe, hit follow. Do not miss a show. Stick it the rest of the week right here with me. And uh, let's have some fun. Until then, make Locked On NBA your second listen here on this Monday to catch up with everything else going on around the NBA.